Well, last week was Administrative Assistance Day. And to show appreciation for a work well done, our worship minister, Mike Simmons, got me a gift. I said, Mike, you shouldn't have. He agreed. Do you want to see what it is? Of course you do. This is so totally cool. I tell Mike Simmons, I said, you cannot buy my love, but don't stop trying. I mean, this is so totally cool. Absolutely. I love this. This is a shield. Duh. I know. I mean, but I mean, this is like, this is like the kind of shield that those first century Roman legionnaires had. That's what we're talking about right here. I mean, this is awesome. They, they, they called it back then, the, they called it back then a, a scutum. A scutum, that's what they called it. That was their word for shield. That's the Latin. And it's like this, this two and a half foot by four foot, you know, like door shield. I mean, it is so totally cool. He said, you know, it's there to, 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 to cover the, the legionnaire. He said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be covering all of your body, bolting house. I said, well, I mean, here's the deal. Back then, I mean, they were... The guys were a little shorter back then. No, really they were. You had a minimum of like 4 feet 11 inches. That was the minimum height back then to be a Roman legionnaire. But they would take these shields and, and imagine not just one shield. Imagine an entire legion of shields. An entire legion of Roman soldiers. I mean, we're talking five to six thousand of these guys. I mean, just it's just absolutely cool. I love it. Have I told you that? And and so what would happen is they would they would take up the shield. They would take up the shield as they're preparing to advance upon a position. And so they were so trained to proceed and advance as one, as one, they 6,000 of them would move out as one. And it was like this, this was like this moving wall that was approaching, you know, across the field. You've got three or 400 yards to go and you are advancing five to 6,000 as one, as one unit advancing upon the enemy position, marching out, taking taking the ground, getting to where you are going to be. This is going to get you up to the top so that you can do the hand-to-hand battle that needs to be done. Well, of course, your enemy is on the other side of that field. And they're not just going to you know, let you get up there. They're going to try to soften the defenses, right? And that's where the artillery came into play back then. Yeah, we're talking catapults, of course. We're also talking about these archers, 
These archers who would send these arrows, hundreds of them, thousands of them, softening up the, the, the fortification of that advancing phalanx of legionnaires as they're approaching. And, and so they would move as one to protect themselves, but also to, to protect their fellow legionnaire as they advanced as one on the position. Well, we're not just talking about arrows. There's psychological warfare going on too. And part of the psychological warfare involved taking some of those arrows and and wrapping the heads of the arrows in fabric and dipping it in pitch and then lighting it and then sending it. Now you are advancing on this position. There's five or 6,000 of you. And all of a sudden you see, I mean, this flaming arrow is coming at you. Huh? And, you know, you are moving as one, but the arrow goes right into the shield, explodes onto the shield. The shield catches fire. What's the temptation for the Roman soldier at that point in time? Throw down the shield. And if you throw down the shield, you're exposed. Totally exposed. In fact, this is so interesting. The Roman historian Livy talks about this. Uh, he says in uh, one of his history books here, he says, I love it. He says, the, the, the arrows, the iron head. Now, some, some of these arrows, you know, were like you know, Boy Scout arrows, but some of these were like missiles. They were like total guy arrows. The head was three feet long and capable of penetrating armor and body alike. And when it was discharged, the flame... The, 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 the shaft of those huge missiles were, were, they were the ones slathered with tow and then lit. And when the, air, when the, when the missile was discharged, the, the flame was fanned to a fiercer heat by its passage through the air. And it forced the soldier to throw away his shield and left him defenseless against the sword thrust which followed. You throw down your shield, the defense for your defenses, and, I mean... You're done, totally done. So the Romans caught on, right? They caught on. And instead what they did was they began to wrap their shields in soaked ox hides, soaked with water. And they would wrap their shields, which of course made them even heavier to haul as they would advance on the position and take up their shields but they would be so soaked, so saturated with water that when those flaming arrows would come, the flame would be doused or dampered. I mean, I just love talking about this. It's total guy stuff. Total guy stuff. You know, in one sense, in a tactical sense, this is a defensive weapon in a tactical sense. But in a strategic sense, strategic to the thousands of legionnaires, this is offensive weapon. Because when you take up the shield, it means we're moving ahead. We're going to fight. We're going to march. We're going to advance. We're going to go. The shield. The Roman scutum that the legionnaires had. 
I like this toy. I said, Mike Simmons, I mean, how much did you spend on this? He said, too much for one sermon. <laughs> I said, I'll just use it the next time I talk about tithing. You know? Just, huh? Oh, yeah. Did you know that the Apostle Paul wrote about shields? Yeah, there's a section in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to look at verses 10 through 20. The section on the armor of God. It's really the conclusion of this amazing letter. Paul was in... Uh, custody of a Roman guard when he wrote these words. Paul draws upon the rich heritage of the Old Testament, the many verses which talk about the Lord being his shield. And so he's under house arrest. Book of Acts 28 tells us he's chained to a Roman guard. He's writing this letter. He's concluding this letter. He wants to send this letter to this, this incredible church in the city of Ephesus. And this letter, this, this, the book of Ephesians is about God's new humanity, the new race in Jesus, where God has brought together from every nation and every race, and in Christ, he's created a new humanity. And that humanity, that race, that nation still has an enemy. And the enemy's not Rome. No. The enemy's not Rome. The enemy is Satan. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul tells us, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so Paul is, then tells the Ephesian Christians, these, these citizens of God's new nation, he calls them, he urges them, he tells them, you are not only citizens, God has called you to be citizen soldiers, and you are to stand your ground against your enemy. Stand firm, and Paul talks about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and gospel shoes. And then comes the shield, Ephesians 6, 16. He says, here it is. I like how the English Standard Version puts it. In all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts or the missiles or the arrows of the evil one. There we go. I, I want us this morning to really just answer two questions about this passage of Scripture. I want, I want to unpack the message. What's the message behind this? Obviously, there's a message here that the Apostle Paul was thinking about when he penned these words to Christians 2,000 years ago. It's a message for us. What's the message of the metaphor? And then, question number two is, what's that look like? When I take up the shield... Of faith, what does that look like in my life? The message of the metaphor, and then what does that metaphor look like when lived out in my life? Question number one, the message of the metaphor. What is, what's going on? What's Paul telling us here? Well, remember what I said about how, although this is like a tactical weapon, it's really strategic. It's really strategic. And, and 
And the message is simply this. The shield of faith, and the shield of faith that Paul was talking about, not the shield of faith that you, know, you would see in a parade, a military parade, that's just for show. No, no, no. The shield of faith is not for show. The shield of faith means go. It means advance. It means there's a march going on. That's what we're talking about here. Strategically, this is an offensive weapon. This is going to get us to the top of the, of the battlefield. Go, advance. And Paul's kind of hinted at this already here in these verses. Do you notice when Paul talks about the first three articles in the armor of God, he talks about the, uh, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about the feet fitted. He says in these verses, he says, having the belt of truth. Having the breastplate of righteousness. Having your feet fitted with gospel readiness. You see, there are, there are articles of the armor of God which are having articles. Having. You have these strapped tightly about your body and, and you, can, you, you go about in the barracks or in the camp with the breastplate of righteousness on the belt of truth. Your gospel feet fitted. They are the having articles. But then there's a shift here starting this week with the shield of faith. There's the having articles, then there's the taking up articles. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And when you take up an article, that means the ball is in play. That means we're ready to go. We're ready for action. You take up the shield of faith. This shield, which one pastor put it this way, faith is not only a defense for the Christian soldier, but a defense for his defenses. Faith not only shields the soldier. You see, take up the shield of faith. You could put it this way. Take up the shield, which is faith. Faith is the shield. And not only shields the sword, but it shields his graces as well. It's the only piece of armor capable of protecting the entire soldier. Think about that. See, the helmet of salvation protects your head, belt of truth, uh, protects your, your, your loins, your lower abdomen, your breastplate of righteousness protects your internal organs, but the shield of faith protects the entire body. And because of that, then, when you take up the shield of faith, you, you automatically become a target. You take up the shield of faith. You, you take up the shield of faith because you're expecting to get hit. In fact, when the legionnaires fought, if a soldier came back from battle with his shield looking about the same as before he went into battle, we kind of know what happened. <laughs> Chicken! <laughs> yeah. No, you take up that shield because it's going to get, it's going to get, it's going to get beat up. Some Christians think that faith, oh, if I just have faith, well, that'll enable me to escape blows. As if, you know, if all I had was faith, then, then my life will be peaceful and quiet and serene and calm. Uh-uh. No. The shield of faith is meant to bear the blows. So when I take up the shield of faith, the shield of faith means go. The question is not, am I going to get hit? <laughs> You're going to get hit. Why would you need to take up the shield of faith if you weren't going to get hit? 
Why would you need the shield of faith? You're going to get hit. It's going to happen, all right? The question is not, am I going to get hit? The question is, am I going to get hurt? And the gospel is, no. No, no, no. And why? Because in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield with which you can extinguish all, all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And why? Why? Because because what we're talking about here is, when we talk about the shield of faith, we're not talking about faith in faith. We're not talking about folks that drive by this church facility and see what's going on in here and say, well, these folks are just, you know, they, they're just believing people. Wow, that's just so totally cool. They're believing people. Well, we're not talking about folks who have faith in faith. We're focusing on the object of our faith. That's what we're focusing on. You can have strong faith in weak eyes, and you're still going to get wet. We're talking about the object. And all throughout the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul has been talking, not about faith per se, but the object of our faith. And he says it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, in him and through faith in him. Who? Jesus In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You see, Jesus is the source of our faith. That word for faith, even back to the Hebrew language, means to lean on. I'm leaning on Jesus. I'm depending on him. He is supporting me. Christianity is this this, this, um, supernatural offer that God... That God, through Christ, does not treat me the way I deserve to be treated. That God does not count my sins against me. See, See, what we want to do is, and this is really kind of what religion is all about. Religion says, you know, if I obey, then he'll, he'll love me. And religion says that I want God to count my good deeds, but I don't want him, I don't want him to think about my bad deeds. <laughs> See, well, God says, no, that's not, no. If I'm going to count your good deeds, then we're going to count your bad deeds too. See, and God says, look, here's the, here's the offer. And it's my only offer. You know, I've created you to have community with me. I've created you for fellowship with me. I created you not because I need fellowship, but because I want to share fellowship. That the, 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 This holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this perfect fellowship, perfect community. God is so gracious that he wants to share that and so he made us and we are made, created for community with God. But going all the way back to the garden, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, severed that community because of sin and that goes all the way to our lives. And God says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna send my son, Jesus, God in the flesh, And he lived perfectly, spoke perfect thoughts, thought perfect thoughts, did perfect deeds. And then God says, I I am willing to credit to your life Jesus' perfection. Jesus, I'm willing to do that. You say, that's not fair. No, that's not fair. It's grace. It's grace. 
Now, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that offer? You see, I'm, it's the end of the school year, right? And we're concerned about A's and B's and C's get degrees and all of that, right? We're concerned about that. God says, God says, my son, A++++, I'm willing to credit his grades to your records. I'm willing to do that. Well, what happens, what happens to my F? It's going to get credited to his body on the cross. Well, that's not fair. It's not. It's grace. It's my only offer. It's my only offer. And so Christianity is this amazing discovery. I think it's a discovery. It's a discovery, and then I'm acting on that discovery that for me to have a relationship with God, I have done nothing, and I do nothing, and I can never do nothing to merit a relationship with God. It is, it is about who Jesus Christ is. And I take up faith, trusting Jesus to do for me what I cannot do myself. I mean, what I haven't done myself. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so when we gather here today, we don't gather here as people who are puffed up with ourselves. We're a, we're a gathering of sinners anonymous. That's what we are. And your pastor is a sinner too, only we're not anonymous. In truth, we come together and we say, God has redeemed us. And, and there's nothing, anything that we do is going to be coming in and through him. In and through him, Paul says, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We go because of Jesus. And so we take up the shield of faith. We take up the shield of faith as we do marriage. We take up the shield of faith, trusting and leaning on God as we do our neighborhood, as we do school. But remember, as we take up that shield of faith, you automatically become a target, right? You're going to take up the shield of faith. And all of a sudden, you've got flaming arrows coming at you, right? You decide that you're going to put on gospel shoes and you're going to have a spiritual conversation. And then all of a sudden, you've got flaming arrows coming at you. A flaming arrow, Satan says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to have this kind of conversation? What is all that about? Well, this kind of gets us to our second question, doesn't it? Huh? We take up the shield of faith because we're trusting totally in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And he's the sole reason why we're in heaven, because of God's gracious mercy. What does this look like on a day-to-day -day basis? We enter spiritual conversations. We, we're we're going to do marriage. We're going to do parenting. But the minute we take up the shield, we, we all of a sudden, be, we, we get attacked. We're, and I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Because this, this whole issue of what it looks like to take up the shield of faith. C.S. Lewis talks about in uh, his book, Mere Christianity. In fact, there's two chapters called Faith, and I wish you would read those because it so helped me uh, in thinking through what it looks like to take up the shield of faith. C.S. Lewis said this. This is a great, great quote. He said, faith is the art of telling your moods where they get off. Hmm? Faith is the art of telling your moods where they get off. See, what, what, what is that about? Well, see, we're talking spiritual warfare here, aren't we? And so, 
spiritual warfare is we're not talking about flesh and blood. Satan is going to be talking about our spirits. He's going to be talking about our moods, our imaginations, our emotions. And Lewis said, you know, I used to think that once I came to a conclusion about something by thinking it through and I became convinced of its truth that then I no longer needed to be convinced of it anymore. (laughs) And I found out that's not true because I have these things called moods. Moods. And so Lewis talks about, you know, anesthesia. And this was in 1952, remember. He says, I know in my mind that anesthesia is good for me. It is. And I know in my mind that no competent surgeon is going to cut me open before I'm unconscious and so that I can feel. I know that, but I know that in my mind, but, but that doesn't change, that doesn't change this childish panic that comes over me when I'm the one that's on the gurney and the mask is on my face. See, your moods rebel. I mean, um, think about this in terms of dating. You're going out with someone, you're dating someone, and after a while, after maybe, you know, 15 minutes, you you realize this, nothing good can come from this relationship. Right? I mean, this is not going to happen. Nothing, nothing good can come from this relationship. And, and you know, you, you, you know, you, you, maybe if, if you're, you know, a lady, you prepared, you know, you prepared, you know, several hours for this event. Right? Several hours for this event. And, and then 15 minutes, you realized, in fact, you had more fun preparing for the event than the actual event itself. Right? And so, but you realize that nothing good can come from this. Nothing good. But then your moods begin to rebel. Your moods begin to rebel. Right? Well, they have such a spunky personality. Or, well, you know, they're just so chipper. Or, you know, you know I'll change them. I'll change them. You're not going to change them. You know you're not going to change them. Your friends tell you that you're not going to be able to change. Your mother's telling you that you're not going to be able to change. Now, what are you going to, who's going to get the final say? See? We know this in terms of money. We know this in, and if we've ever gotten carried away with our credit cards, we know, you know, you say, you says, you know, I really shouldn't buy this. I know I shouldn't buy this. I'm, if I buy this, I'm going to want something else the next week. I don't have any business buying this. But then our moods begin to take over, right? Our moods begin. We say, oh, you know, but I mean, it's just, it's just uh, you, know, oh, you know, I've already got 7000 on the credit card. What's another fifty? You know, that kind of a thing. Or it just, it'll just be another six months. We are moods. And then we just go ahead and do it. See? You let your moods take over. And, and C.S. Lewis says, you know, I, I, I cross the line of faith into a relationship with Christ. And I open God's word and I see the truth of God's word and I look around and say, this makes sense. This explains this and this explains this. And I step over the line of faith and I come to Christ. Well, I need to continue to feed my faith. I need to continue to feed. Why? Because moods change. Good moods, not so good moods, and 
And if you live your life based on your moods, you're just going to be like, you know, James talks about a, a wave being blown here and there. He must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed about by the wind. That's what we're talking about. C.S. Lewis says, you can't, if you live according to your moods, you're not going to be a sound Christian. He said, you can't even be a sound atheist. He says, when I, now that I'm a Christian, there are times when my mood tells me that Christianity is improbable. He says, when I was an atheist, my moods told me that Christianity was probable. See, your moods are going to change. So you need to feed your faith. I think that's why it's important for us to be in community with other believers. I think that's why it's important then for us to be in small groups. I think that's why it's important for us to, to, to pray and to study our Bibles and to read and to, and to be in a kind of stadium-like event with other Christians to feed our faith. Not to get to heaven. That's not what we're talking about. But because by God's grace through Jesus Christ, a glimpse of heaven we've already we've begun to taste and we want to taste that more and more and more, you see. And so, then, and so then as we live and we take up this shield and we do marriage, we, we grow in faith and we grow in Christ and we begin, to live, we begin to live in a less worried way because we've just been so, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with the doctor's tests. I don't know what's going to happen with the future. I don't know what's going to happen with this. But I know that God is in control and I'm going to trust him. And, and you realize that as, as you're saying that and as you're living that, you've taken up the shield. You've taken up the shield and you're proceeding. Yeah, faith is not for show. It means Go. I'm thinking of two Hebrew guys, two Hebrew guys who may have lived at the time, you know, of the Exodus. Uh, their conversation is not recorded in the book of Exodus, but I can't help but think that such a conversation took place. The nine plagues have already been inflicted upon Egypt, and the one last plague is about to happen, right? The death angel. And these two Hebrew guys, you know, God said, put the blood on the doorpost and the death angel will pass over, right? Don't put the blood on the doorpost and I'll take your firstborn son. That's the deal. And so these two Hebrew guys, they're talking. We'll call them Butch and Bobby, okay? Their descendants later went to Oklahoma. But Butch and Bobby... And Butch and Bobby are talking. Butch says, did you put the blood on the doorpost? Bobby says, yeah, but Butch, I'm worried. I'm just really worried. I mean, I, just, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm just really concerned that my son is going to be Butch says, I'm not worried at all. I mean, I'm not worried. You put blood on your doorpost? I put blood on my doorpost? I'm, I'm not worried. And all. Well, of course, you have three sons. I have one. And, you know, oh, God will come through. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I don't know if it's, I'm just really concerned. Well, so they go back into their houses. The death angel comes. 
Which son was taken? Neither. Neither son was taken. Why? Because the promise was not predicated on my mood or the level of assurance that I had. The promise was only predicated on the fact that that blood better be on that doorpost. See? Now, church family, we take up the shield of faith, and that shield has been saturated with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it means go, and we go. And my moods are going to be up, and my moods are going to be down, but we can go because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And imagine not just one of us going, because remember, this is not just one. They didn't send the soldiers up one at a time to beat the Goths. No, 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 no. They sent up the legion as one, and they come together. And when we go together with our shields saturated with the blood of Christ, there's not one arrow, not one arrow that will be able to, to we, will, we will get hit, but we're not going to get hurt. They will be extinguished. And I think that's why Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says, you know, and what more shall I say? If you want to see an example of a legion of believers who marched up across that field with the shield of faith, go to Hebrews 11. And finally, the Hebrew writer says, look, I don't have time to talk. I don't have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, through faith administered justice, through faith gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Wait a minute, Randy. You said that they may be hit, but they won't get hurt. They weren't hurt. The Hebrew writer says, Hebrew writer says they, they refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection, you see. Faith is not for show. Faith means go. And church family, when we go, you see, you know why we can go? We go because the time, by the time we get up to the top of the battle line there, we realize Jesus is there. He's waiting for us to move. Because he's gone before us. And you're feeling weak? You're feeling your mood? You're feeling weak? Fine. I'll believe for both of us. I'll believe for you. I'll put my shield over you. And when we have a church family that's doing that, that's what it looks like to passionately pursue Christ. And so I just want to make this, I want to just kind of call an audible here today. I'm going to stay right up here at the conclusion of our services. And if there's a staff member or one of our elders or deacons that are here, I'd like for you to just, after the services, just to make yourself available. And if you need prayer, if you need, if you're saying, I just, I just don't know that I can do it one more, you know what, you come here and you let us pray for you one more day. And together, together, as one, we will advance with the shield of faith, who is Jesus Christ, and we, have, we can go and march because he's, he's already there. He's already there. The shield of faith, it's not for show. It means go. 
Hebrews 12, 2 says, therefore let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the trailblazer he went before us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition. Consider him, him, not your moods, not Satan's slander. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The shield of faith is not for show. It means go. And we can go because the object of our faith is Jesus who has won and he's up at the top of the battle line waiting for us. Let's pray.